0: Texas Talking Aw. Oh, what was that that you said? Texas Talking Aw. Ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas Talking Tell me who can you trust when Texas got smart. Texas got smart. Texas Talking
1: Welcome to the Texas Tribune's Tribcast. I'm Arlene Wilgamuth, Executive Director of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And I'm so excited, at the culmination of a quarter century of action for Lone Star
2: Liberty, to move into our brand new headquarters building at 901 Congress Avenue, just two blocks from the Texas State Capitol, where we can keep a
1: close eye on our neighbors across the street at the Texas Tribune. Now here's Emily
2: Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the final week of March. I'm joined by CEO and Editor-in-Chief Evan Smith. Hey, Reeve. Oh my god, Evan, seriously, every week? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Until they carry me out of here horizontally in a box. Well, I'm sounds be like doing that. Y-
2: we did just hear that you're going to be 49. So, it's true. We're it's fast approaching. <laughs> uh,
0: god reporter, please put me out of my misery.
2: Reporter and uh, staff budget wizard Amon Bathija.
0: Hello. Wizard, you're know, like the Dumbledore of the
2: <laughs>
3: staff great.
2: and uh, political reporter and Ted Cruz's new best friend, Jay Root.
3: The boy from Liberty.
0: Oh God, with the you
2: Liberty did say again. Liberty a lot during that.
3: You it's and uh, you and Arlene Wolgamuth each what, with Liberty. Well, you said the golden voice was getting old, so
0: no, I think
2: they're... the man from Liberty. You were great the other day, Jay. All right, so we've had an enormous Texas news week, and it's only Thursday. Sorry, we're doing this on Thursday, but it was to accommodate Jay Root's schedule and Todd. Our wasn't producer. wasn't
0: he awesome? He was awesome. He,
2: so Jay went to New York City to interview Ted Cruz on the uh, day after he made his announcement that he was running for president. Uh, Jay, walk us through your conversation with him. Tell me, tell us a little bit about. Were there any surprises in that conversation?
3: Well, uh, you know, I continue to be. Honestly impressed with his intellect and his ability to um, ha- the legal context, the historical context that he has. So I, I was honestly a little intimidated <clears throat> beforehand, and so you know I I, I tried to um, do a crash course on on what I thought would come up. Um, I you know we talked about obviously a lot of people have noticed we talked about marijuana and gay marriage i also talked about global warming a little bit that one was uh picked up a lot um he said that people who uh believe in global warming or man-made global warming are the flat earth flat earthers of our day which a lot of people think it's the exact opposite, um, but I, I wanted him to, instead of getting into a big long debate about science, which I think a lot of people wish I had done, um, I, I think that, that that's a view that is really in the minority, um, and and I and he, he acknowledged that that's certainly what a lot of people think, um, but <clears throat> it really makes me wonder if he's going to get anywhere with this. He talks about getting millions of young people to come out. And he's not the kind of candidate um, that it, it's certainly in the way we think of these things and the way we read polls that is going to get a bunch of young people for him, uh, given some of these positions. Th-
0: th- this is the conversation that we had on the cast after the Rand Paul appearance at South By. And a conversation that I had with Rand Paul, who, like Ted Cruz, thinks that by virtue of his presence in the race – young people will magically turn out and materialize in the Republican primary. In each of the last two elections, you know this, Jay, uh, young people turned out about 18%, I think, in 08, 19% in in 2012. More than 60% of the young people, 30 and under, who turned out voted Democratic. Even in the midterm election, which was a bloodbath for the Democrats, 55% of young people voted Democratic. The challenge for any Republican candidate, Rand Paul or Ted Cruz, is how do you get young people to consider the Republican brand? It happens not because you assert that they should vote for you. It's about the positions you take. Young people tend to be less ideological on some of these sharp elbow issues like gay marriage, abortion, marijuana. And the fact is, if Rand Paul or Ted Cruz don't take positions that the majority of young people see as forward-looking, it's going to be harder for them to get young people. It's not enough to assert it. Well, that's
1: true if in November. Does that really matter in the primaries?
0: Right. But presumably he's not talking about an army of young people coming out to support him. I, I My assumption, at least, Rand Paul's mm-hmm. certainly talking about this, that Ted Cruz, likewise, he's really focused with regard to young people more on November than on
3: March. Well, I think that's probably <laughs> true. Yeah. But, you know, um, our, our – these people really going you know does he really change his message for a fall campaign i mean i think that his whole what, what he talked about is rallying conservative voters conservative think youth he doesn't change that's it. what right. he talks about god-fearing he voters he's a, gonna, exactly. he's, he's a base guy he's a base guy so, so he he can be, win it that by way. being
0: a base guy the question is do you have enough of a shot to get non-traditional Republican voters, A, young people, and B, non-white voters, to cross over and vote for you.
3: And see, that's what Battleground Texas was talking about on the Democratic side, was we've got all these people that right. we need to motivate. And I, I, you know, there are times when people have changed the makeup of the electorate. That happens from time to time. Um, but it doesn't happen very often, um, and it's usually not some huge, gigantic shift where we've changed the math entirely. It's more incremental. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, can Ted Cruz really, or Rand Paul, for that matter, as you pointed out, can they really compete with young people? I mean, that's not the experience that we've seen. I think the
0: question on, on Ted Cruz is sort of a two-part question. He has to get through a primary and the challenge for him is how do you get traction in a primary with so many big brand candidates? Mm-hmm. This is not 08, when if you simply uh, pardon me, this is not um, uh, 12, where if you simply um, outlast the likes of Michelle Bachman and Herman Cain, then you come out successfully. This is all redwoods and very few saplings. This is Jeb Bush, and it's Marco Rubio, and it's Scott Walker, and it's Chris Christie. It's big It's big brand guys. Now, he may think, I'm going to stake out territory at the farthest end of the spectrum. They're going to be fighting over the center or the center-left, and I'll be the only one standing after the early primaries on my end, and so I'll be the Rick Santorum of this election cycle. But hard to know whether that's going to be a successful strategy.
3: Well, he's he's got the Tea Party lane kind of sewn up, I think, don't you? I mean uh – that's Cruz. Uh, yeah, I think Cruz does have. I don't have know. The... I mean, he's
2: got the. He he has a lot of support in the Tea Party lane, but I think somebody like Rand Paul is going to also, and you know, who knows who else might.
0: Ben Carson.
2: Right. I mean, and I, but I think if do, he doesn't but, say Cruise anything has... between
0: now and the primary,
2: yeah. <laughs> Cruz has. A, I I do think, though, Cruz plays in multiple lanes, which is going to work in his favor. But uh, you mentioned the sort of the big questions for Ted Cruz. Let's quickly listen to one of my favorite questions for Ted Cruz from this interview with Jay Root.
3: Let's talk about your marquee conservative principle, liberty. That's Mm -hmm. the buzzword. Um, But how do you square that with your fierce opposition Mm -hmm. to gay marriage? What what sweat Mm -hmm. off your back is it if I want to marry a man? Well, my touchstone for all of these questions is the Constitution. The Constitution is our founding document, and and I have spent virtually my entire professional career fighting to defend the Constitution. Since the beginning of the country, marriage has been a question for the states. And and that's under the Constitution where the authority properly lies. Now, I am a strong defender of traditional marriage. If you wanna change the marriage laws, there's a constitutional way to do that, which is you convince your fellow citizens to change the marriage laws in your individual state.
2: So, Jay, what sweat off his back? was, <laughs> was it exactly? And how did back sweat figure into your conversation?
3: Um, I think I may have said that to my mother one time uh, <laughs> about her back sweat. Well, uh, you know, I, I asked my mother actually if Why she thought in trouble? if, if, if <laughs> she if she thought that if we allowed gay marriage, would there be more gay people? Would people would more people want to be gay because? you know they would be able to marry and she thought about it and she actually said yes she thought that that would happen um but um you know i mean i i'm fascinated with this idea that we you know we're talking about liberty that is the buzzword um and roll out at (laughs)
2: liberty university
3: correct and um you know how do you square that with um this for for example, gay marriage, where a lot of people think that's a civil right that, that you know this is a civil rights debate now, and so uh, and and a lot of people compare it for example to the ban on interracial marriages um, that happened you know 50 60 years ago, um, and so I, I you know really am interested in how you reconcile this push for individual liberty get the government out of our lives get the government out of the bedroom except when maybe it clashes with traditional values and, and, not,
0: and you know that's that's an interesting point and there's a version of this playing out on the local control debate we like local control we want decentralized government we want small central government we want to give responsibilities for self-determination back to local municipalities except when they do things we don't like So there's an inconsistency fundamentally on the one hand talking about local control, but on the other hand saying, yeah, but when you pass a bag ban or a fracking ban, well, we don't like that kind of local control. There's a version of this that I think has always been a tension with the position that we want small government and government out of people's lives. Because if that's the case, then you would think logically you'd let people marry anybody they want. You'd let people get abortions if that's the law of the land. But it's really up to the line of, We want government out of people's lives until people choose to do things we don't agree with. Then we want government in their lives. Mm -hmm. This is an unresolved tension. It's not a new tension, but I thought you hit a good –
3: you struck a good balance in asking that question.
1: Cruz's answer made me think of Rick Perry in 2011. Didn't he basically say what Cruz said and then backtracked?
3: He did, and then he he said we need a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. And it was within like days. (laughs) Right, right.
2: So what did you guys think about the rollout of this campaign, this campaign announcement? I mean, you know, how it basically leaked out on Friday, and then there was an announcement on Twitter with, you know, a At link to, with, a, with a website <laughs> that was not yet functioning. We, we were all awake
1: late right. that waiting, night, for sure, unfortunately, waiting.
2: Unfortunately, right. right. And then the announcement, you know, outside of his home state of Texas, which I think is pretty unheard of. Uh, for some it's only kind of... the
0: second time that there's been a presidential campaign announcement outside of the candidate's home state ever.
2: So A, what what kind of messaging did this send and B how effective was this as far as rollouts go
3: I think he got a lot of coverage for it honestly being I mean the fact that he that was first. first it's being right. first okay um, and there's not going to be another first one because he got it, and the fact that he did it on Twitter, I think, and it's, they got a whole bunch of buzz.
2: He said I was going. doing that. You could tell I was I was reaching out to young people because I did it on Twitter and I right. did it in the middle of the night, basically. Yeah, it's
3: yeah. you know,
0: like he did it on Spotify. Come on, I or mean,
2: Snapchat. You know,
3: <laughs> well, Twitter is yeah, not brand new. Let's face it, but I, I still think though that. Um, You know, everybody has a a kind of a new twist or tries to do a new twist every time. This was non-traditional. He, he, the the other thing that I have to give them credit for is 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 putting themselves out there in these interviews. I mean, I wish other. I I found myself wishing that Greg Abbott would give us that kind of time. You know, has Greg Abbott ever given us a thirty-minute interview like that or thirty? I think it went thirty-seven minutes. It has. Um, have we, an
2: event or a at no, a no fest?
3: sadly not. we
2: have huh.
0: requested time with governor abbott
2: all right well we had time consider with this another abbott request previously
0: look look i think the answer the short answer to your question emily is it was a very successful rollout if your team crews you have to be really happy with the way this went there were some hiccups technologically at the beginning but those have all been forgotten he got a lot of attention he's an extremely good speaker we knew that he's smart as jay says we knew that he played extremely well, according to what people's expectations were, and honestly, we think because we live in a bubble, that everybody knows Ted Cruz has seen Ted Cruz run, the Ted Cruz play before. He got quite a bit more attention as a result of being first. Pretty ballsy of them to step out and say we're not exploring anything, we're running. Right. That's it. I, I have to, I have to think that from the and then of course he raised all that money in the first couple of days, exceeding expectations that they had set. I think it was a successful first week. Whether or not it remains successful, Rand Paul's getting in April seventh. Marco Rubio gets in not long after that. Hillary Clinton gets in in the first half of April herself. You're going to now see Rick the floodgates. Barry and Mayor
2: Jim. The floodgates will right. open. Right, right. The floodgates
0: will open. But
3: this whole you know idea when he talks about you know we don't want pale pastels, we want bold colors. I think that this was an example of that. It's bold. He's bold. People like that. You know, we went into Times Square after this interview and just like did Man on the Street with probably 20 people. And and one and it's, it's obviously not scientific. Let, let's let's be honest about that. Oh, but really? one thing that you definitely Jim Henson would not be is a fan that, of this no, approach. Five out of six people dressed <laughs> as Elmo. Said. No, but one consistent thing that you hear from people is that Ted Cruz, you know, speaks his mind even if it's they, you know, maybe not popular or whatever. Um, I, I I do think that that lane he really has you know for for the unapologetic angry populism Republican brand of populism, Ted Cruz is their man.
2: The one thing we learned about Ted Cruz this week that I really didn't know had to do with his personal musical preference. Oh, that was
3: that the was strangest strange. answer was,
1: Amon, I've ever heard. Tell us what he said. He said that <laughs> he, he was
2: asked first of all about why he liked country music.
1: And he said he used to like I think classic, classic rock. Classic rock and then. After 9-11, he said he didn't like how the
0: rock and roll community responded. Was was the 19th hijacker the drummer in Rush? What does that mean? Is that Neil Peart was <laughs> the 19th hijacker? He liked the way
2: country musicians <laughs> responded to 9-11 more than the way classic rockers responded to 9-11. He liked the messaging around country music And so he's listened
1: than. to country music ever since, which is, I mean, that's commitment.
2: It's serious <laughs> it's commitment. It's
1: like 14 years of... Sticking with country music over that one moment.
3: <laughs> I look, take him. I take him at his word that that's why he did it. It, it. But it it really illustrates how with him, he he's so all into this as politics. It's mm. not you don't sense with Cruz that there's some zone of his life. Like if you wake him up in the middle of the night, he's going to like recite the First Amendment or something. I mean, it's just he lives and probably breezes. recite the Tenth Amendment. Well, <laughs> frankly, uh, yeah, or, or or all of them in a row, well, further pneumatically. Than the amendment I mean, letter. you know, he's right.
1: it's interesting. that People that cover him and kind of know that he tends to be pretty consistent. You you thought he was being genuine. What I think most of the world who heard that assumed he was like pandering to both people who like rock and country music.
3: Well, I I tend to you know believe people when they say. Well, no, that, no and I, no, I think no, no, you might no, be right. I, it's just yeah.
1: I think if you don't know anything about Cruz, that just sounds like
0: the most I, I, my, my, weird. My answer. theory on Cruz is that like Dan Patrick, and I mm-hmm. know they don't necessarily like to be put in the same category. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not exactly besties, right? I don't think Ted Cruz gives a crap what we think. I don't no, think he gives a crap what anybody thinks. Ted Cruz believes what Ted Cruz believes. He's gonna run that Ted Cruz play and outcome will be determined later. But his, right? He's uh, not gonna pander. He's the, not gonna no. ooh, I like Wilco because the people at the Tribune Evan Smith likes <laughs> might actually be, they might vote for me if, for I, if I say nice things about Wilco. <laughs> Shut up <I'm> a <laughs>
3: Right. No, the, the thing about Cruz, like though Rush, his style though. <laughs> is his style is different from anybody I've ever come across in that his ability to recall what he said before and to say the exact same thing over and over is is border, bordering on freakish i mean it's, yeah, I've it's never just unbelievable it's like it. it's it's really yeah.
2: All right. So let's switch gears a little bit here and move back to Austin, to the state capitol, and talk uh, with Amon about what's going on with the budget. We have uh, two different versions in the House and Senate uh, moving in both chambers. What are the key differences right now between those two versions?
1: Well, the Senate finance, as we speak, is finishing up their budget. So we don't know Everything about that version yet. The House passed their House Appropriations Committee passed their budget on Tuesday. It's 210 billion dollars, and it will go to the House floor next week. Uh, and Senate budget will probably hit just before Easter. And the big differences right now are tax cuts and school funding. Uh, it's ha-
2: well, those are two things. Yeah, I want to talk about specifically. So we had Dan Patrick's big tax cut package did pass the Senate.
1: Yes, it passed right. yesterday. It was about four point six point five,
2: four point six billion, right? Right.
1: And uh, early next week, uh, Ways and Means Chairman Dennis Bonin is going to announce what is considered the Strauss tax cut package, and it's going to be franchise tax cuts and sales tax cuts.
0: So they're intending to cut business taxes.
1: Yes, they're they're, they're in agreement on that. I don't. I think so there's debate Michael, about how so to. So why cut. is
0: Michael Sullivan on on his website today complaining that the Strauss budget doesn't have business tax cuts?
1: I do not know, actually. I think they might be debating on... They might differ on how to cut the business tax. But the but fact
0: is, there will be a business tax cut.
1: That's what Dennis Bonin told me, yeah. He said. Well, and
0: Abbott has
3: said that he's going to sign yeah, a budget, won't budget with a Yeah,
1: the disagreement is over property taxes. The House is convinced that it's just not worth the trouble. The uh, Senate package is, I think, 2.8
2: uh, or something like yeah, that.
0: Two point,
1: uh, and a lot it's, of
2: it's by way of increasing the homestead exemption. But it
0: amounts to the cost of about a latte per day... For about six months. Yeah, the, that's about all you get out of this. right?
1: It, it would be, not too much. The first year would be average homeowner would save mm-hmm. I think two hundred and cheap. I think the f- average homeowner would save two hundred six dollars well, that first year. Well, if you stop
0: going to Lavazza,
2: <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, normally when I go to Starbucks, Laza, Evan normally buys my coffee, so, so I try so to stay there. Of course, it's cheap. The yeah. cost is nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there
0: is no such thing as a free lunch, but there is free latte. Right. That's
2: and right. so how do so the house has now basically announced plans that they really want to take on school finance. They don't want to wait for the court. They want to move in and do it. So how does that all play? into the Senate's plan for property ta- ca- tax cuts and
1: Well, the, the House was already planning to put more money into schools than the Senate, at least at face value. The Senate had talked about, we're still working on that, we might put more, but up until a couple of days ago, the House was putting $2.2 billion and the Senate was putting $1.2 billion beyond enrollment growth. Then, yesterday, the House surprised a lot of people and said, we're adding $800 million to bring it up to $3 billion. And, uh, House Education Chair, uh, Jimmy Don Acock, essentially said, we are going to fix school finance with this before the lawsuit is decided. You know, uh,
0: the discussion all session long, Amman, has been that the House was going to slow the Senate's role. The reverse is also possible and very possibly true, which Mm. is that the Senate is perfectly capable of slowing the House's role. Just because the House decides to put this money in doesn't mean that Larry Taylor and the Education Committee and the Senate or Lieutenant Governor Patrick are going to buy into it, right?
1: Right. And there is also the question of the spending cap, which uh, it... The Senate is trying to find a way to cut taxes without busting the spending cap. They want to exempt the property tax spending from the cap. The House has already said, we don't like that idea. So, they say any tax cuts actually have to be within the budget and within the cap. Uh, And the House is saying, we're going to do our own tax cuts and put this extra money in uh, for schools. And it really brings up a question of, how would you possibly fit property tax cuts in there within the cap?
2: Right. So, how do you think this is all going to shake out if you were a betting man? He might be a betting man, actually.
1: Dan Patrick campaigned so much on property tax cuts, and Abbott did a little too. So I'd be surprised if no property tax relief mm-hmm. makes it through to the final budget.
2: But they've said it's really important to them to have a noticeable property tax cut. That the ones that, that they've had in the past just have not, you know, hardly made a dent.
1: Well, and so there's been talk of uh, measures to, uh, back to the local control debate, uh, to stop uh, appraisals from going up too much in the future. And I think that's where a lot of the focus is going to be because. I don't think anyone truly believes $200 is just is meaningful tax relief on its own. Well, phone. and to
3: the extent that the, that this requires a constitutional amendment, doesn't that really? give strauss even more control over what ultimately happens because that requires a hundred votes and it's like how hard is it to influence it'd be easy for him to influence how that goes down right exactly
1: and he's just been saying for months that he doesn't like this new approach that's happened in the past few years of trying to send everything to the voters
0: maybe i say a word about this this is to no, my mind an not. interesting <laughs> god it is worse than when Reeb here because i can steamroll that little bastard um, look Uh, uh, But the the dynamics of the House politically are really interesting. People mistake this to be a one-party state. It's a three-party state. Mm -hmm. And the House is maybe the best emblem of that. It's not exactly a third, a third, and a third, but it's roughly a third Democrats, a third traditional, i.e. Strauss Republicans, and a third Tea Party. Probably a little bit more than a third on the Strauss Republican end and a little bit less than a third on the Tea Party end. The coalitions form around different issues differently. This is a coalition, to Amon's point, around mm-hmm. which I think that, or an issue around which I think the traditional Republicans and the Democrats are aligned and the Tea Party is kind of on its own. Mm-hmm. On the tax cut question, the way that you prevent it from g- becoming an issue that goes to the voters is you make it so that there are not 100 votes to do this, and the way you do that is you align the traditional Republicans and the Democrats. If, if there's enough pushback against this, then it cannot go anywhere from the House's perspective. right? I think on the Senate side... On. The most interesting thing to me is, if ever you wondered whether Kevin Eltife was running for re-election, mm-hmm. the answer is he must not be, because he was the lone Republican vote against the tax cuts. Uh, I don't, but you know, he I he is painting a target on himself in the primary. Yeah, th- that, but that's he's true. A lone but
2: Ranger on some of these issues. You know, issues.
0: Uh, yeah, but you that, know, what? That lone did, rangers these days who do less lone rangering than that get targeted and I have to tell you L-Type would be public enemy number 1 in a Republican primary back in Tyler on the basis of this one vote. I'm not saying I agree with that or disagree with it, but I have to believe that you'd have people lining up at the courthouse door to file against him in the primary on this basis, spurred on by the usual suspects.
3: Those kind yeah. of districts though, I've found a lot of times, you know, you you can become very well known to your constituents and I wouldn't be surprised if he held on, even if he had a very uh, vociferous challenge. He's from you think again? Why not?
1: He strikes me as the guy who would be willing to run and just risk losing.
2: All right. Well well, well, we'll see. Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk for a few minutes about a major project that the Texas Tribune launched this week in conjunction with the Houston Chronicle. That that alone is worthy of uh, – uh, is, is a miracle there. Uh, but we produced a, a basically a four-part series that looks at refinery deaths in Texas a, and around the nation in the aftermath, uh, 10 years after the Texas City explosion, the BP Texas City explosion, in which 15 people died. It was a huge case, you know, there were reams and reams of volumes written afterward about the problems that that, you know, BP and that this plant faced and recommendations for how to improve it. And we basically did this analysis with the Houston Chronicle that found in the 10 years after Texas City, there were just as many refinery deaths in the United States as there were in the 10 years before the Texas City explosion. So basically, you know, dis- despite all of these lives lost and all this energy and attention uh, you know, paid to improving the system. These places, these refineries, are as deadly as they've ever been.
1: So, what kind of deaths are we talking about here?
2: You know, we're talking about everything from flash fires and blasts and explosions. Those are generally the most common, but they're also just like incredibly gruesome tales that we wrote about. You know, in one case, a refinery tank weighing 12,000 pounds crushed a worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, another worker was, you know, stuck under all these cylinders that rolled off of a truck. Um, one was pinned between a rail car and a loading rack. I mean, these are gory, gory deaths, about 60 of them in the years after the Texas City explosion, um, you know, compared to basically 64 in the 10 years leading up to the explosion. So I think this is, you know, there have been a lot of challenges. Apparently yesterday, Obama asked the president of the, or the um, the head of the Chemical Safety Board to resign. You know, there's been just a ton of drama around the institutions that oversee these types of places. So. It's been, it's, it was a pretty incredible series. I, I really recommend you go back and, and watch the videos. I mean, you have these guys who survived the Texas City explosion, basically, you know, almost unable to speak. They are so choked up talking about how, you know, they look at these plants now and, and there really have been no changes. So pretty well, stunning stuff. It makes me
1: wonder if... I guess it would be eight years from now. We'd be, we'll have a, ten years after West. We'll be having these same conversations.
2: Well, it's it's funny because, it, uh, you know, well, not funny. It's it's depressing because you look at these types of things and they make so many national headlines and there is so much attention paid to this in this like narrow window. Of and time. and then
0: a squirrel runs by and you go, hey, look hey, at look that. Hey, look at that. Right. right yeah. Exactly.
2: Let's go. Yeah chase this. So uh, I think we will be having those exact same kinds of conversations. You know, we're having similar conversations right now, frankly, about hurricane preparedness. You know, terrible things happen where tons of people lose their lives. And it's like it's just a blip on a radar screen. But I think around refineries, I think around you know oil and gas, around um, chemical plants, like in the case of West, you know, it's, it, there's a serious lack of regulation. State agencies and federal agencies, there are conflicts about who's responsible for what. There's really no central repository that actually calculates all of these deaths. Like our reporters in the Houston Chronicle had to go through by hand, basically, and pull all of these deaths together. Huh. So pretty stunning, stunning stuff. And I really recommend the read. So, um, all right. We have a few minutes left, and Evan, of course, I would love to get your take on what's going on with the UT president search? Question mark Still search? Well, no search?
0: Well, I think I think search period, search, uh, and and soon to be search complete, concluded period. search if if the drumbeats uh, are are to be heard correctly. Bobby Blanchard reported this week what we expected would happen if the leading candidate Andrew Hamilton from Oxford uh, took the NYU job, which he did. That the number two candidate, Greg Fenvis, who is the provost of the university, would become the front frontrunner. Um, he is said to be uh, supported by the chancellor, uh, Bill McRaven, who with Hamilton and Fenvis felt like he had two very strong candidates and therefore no need to reopen a search of candidate number one. Uh, dropped out. There was some question as to whether Greg Fenvis had the votes on the Board of Regents but an interesting thing happened. The Senate approved the nominees to the Board of Regents put forward by Greg Abbott sooner than people expected. So the board that's going to vote on the UT president uh, is a different board than was the board just a couple of weeks ago. The old board, there was some question as to whether the votes were there for Fenvis. It is said that with the new board, the vote will be anywhere from 6-3 in favor to 8-1 in favor. The one Seemingly certain, seemingly certain no vote is Wallace Hall's. There's a question as to whether uh, uh, Alex Cranberg and Brenda Payevich would be no votes as well. But even if all three voted no, you'd still theoretically have six votes in favor of Greg Fenvis. This is an amazing uh, comeback uh, uh, worthy of the Seattle Seahawks uh, in the last two minutes of the game. Um, It was thought that because Fenvis was so uh, closely associated with Powers. Uh, that would be Bill Powers, the exiting president of UT Austin, that there was no way that the reasons would approve him, given the trouble that the reasons have had with Bill Powers. But Fenvis seems to have snatched victory from the jaws of defeat here so, uh, at the last minute. I
2: mean, if that happens, what does that mean for the sort of ongoing drama that we've seen at the university? Okay. Does that mean, well like, round bad, bad news for the ding, people ding, who ding. want the
0: drama to come to an end. Good right. news for all of us in journalism. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I, I, maybe with, with the new chancellor and a newly constituted board that after all would have had the votes to vote for Greg Fenvis to begin with, should this transpire, maybe the assumption is that everything goes back to normal and that it sort of quieted down. I will tell you my general and specific expectation is that Wallace Hall isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And to the degree that he believes there's still funny business happening on the University of Texas at Austin campus, he will be the exposer or the attempted exposer of said funny business. So I don't think that you're going to see some kind of like total turning of the page here. Um, But he's
3: marginalized, though, now.
0: I don't know that he's marginalized. He's only marginalized if he chooses to be. It's a little bit like a weak governor state. You're only Mm -hmm. weak if you choose to be weak. Mm -hmm. You know, he would consider his one vote against Fenvis if this happened, I would presume, to be a strong assertion that he's not going anywhere. Because you don't go along to get along if you're not interested in getting along. But if
3: you have too fewer people willing to go along with you, you're a little you're marginalized. Are you going to be a little less power, a little less weight to it? No?
0: I think that remains to be seen. Him
3: against the world. Is Wallace Hall against the world?
0: Well, we'll see.
2: All right. Well, if you have any funny business to tell us about, you can email Tribcast at texastribune.org. Uh, we'd also love it if you're if you're a Tribcast fan, if you supported our crowdfunding campaign to launch a Tribcast spinoff on the 2016 presidential race. It's going to be hosted by Jay Root. More and Jay Root. KUT's Ben <laughs> Philpott.
3: Hashtag Ivey right.
2: goodness. Hashtag Biscuits.
3: Boy from Liberty.
2: <laughs> we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Amon, Jay, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking.
3: Texas talking.
0: I had expectations of you getting drunk and passing out in Times Square, Jay, and waking up dressed half like Elmo.